You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 83 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined this week by Jeremy Paxton, back from a, uh, I guess, a ski trip in Colorado trying to escape the, uh, the warm Texas temperatures and uh, Jeremy, I heard that you crashed into a tree. Is that accurate? No, no. I was almost. I was about ten feet from making out with a tree, which would have been very unfortunate. Did not want to pull a sunny bono. Ooh, uh, too soon. Uh, <laughs> what ninety-eight or something that happened? No, I, I, I was. Um, you, you forget at altitude uh, that alcohol affects you disproportionately more than it does at that sea is level. True. <laughs> so I was. I don't know. Two or three beers deep and decided to go up a blue black uh which was ill-advised had some moguls and some well, like some like a 70 degree incline so i just decided the last half of the mountain i was just gonna truck it down and okay. so did that i feel like uh, my skis were kind of like vibrating like shaking pretty heavily like, that's probably not a good sign it was not a good sign anyway so i was able to bank around the tree and kind of curve the left and slow down but um the skiing party thought i had died at that point <laughs> but what was really sad though is that later that day we saw snowmobiles running up and down the mountain and somebody actually had died on oh the mountain gosh. that day had actually run into a tree so i count myself as pretty lucky uh my best advice for the folks don't drink and ski just don't ski period or just i mean, I mean we're period. texan we're texan yeah so right. but what you're telling us right now is that you will not be competing for team usa in the 2018 winter olympics next year in pyeongchang uh unlikely unlikely at this point but um I, i've, I've got to talk to my to my coach okay yeah. all right well if, if you do go we are cheering for you but uh <laughs> you might notice that uh, kevin cook is not here this week and uh we actually haven't heard from kevin since thursday so we have no idea where he is at this moment uh any guesses on where he could be i i just spoke with the the interpol guy here about an hour ago they've got no idea either so if you have seen kevin cook please tweet at us that would be helpful so we can find him yeah let us know on uh, weekly brewcast on uh, facebook twitter and instagram if you know where kevin cook is send us a note we honestly have no idea where he is right now and uh of course we mentioned that hunter atkins is uh, gearing up for spring training in uh, florida uh the astros open up one and one in early games and they're kind of uh uh, easing their regular starters into the rotation and of course we'll have hunter on next week to discuss a little bit more about uh, spring training and what we can expect from the astros it's also worth noting that uh, this past week baseball america ranked the astros farm system as number three overall in major league baseball so if you're an astros fan uh, you know not only do you have to be excited about the type of talent that you have on the roster right now in the big leagues but also the depth that you have in the farm system and, and to me the most important important fact uh, from that baseball america uh, ranking was that the next closest team in the american league west checked in at number 17 and that's the oakland athletics so i think you're starting to see the astros separate themselves in terms of developing the farm system which i think is great for uh, fans of baseball within the city but uh, jeremy it's just gonna be me and you today but uh, let's get things started with the nba trade deadline uh, that passed this week and of course uh, the big news would have to be boogie cousins getting traded to the pelicans uh, so arguably you've got one of the most formidable front lines in uh, NCAA, not NCAA basketball, in, in the association as you've got Boogie Cousins and Anthony Davis uh, manning the front line against the Pelicans. And of course, it didn't really work out for him in the first game uh, I, I, back from the All-Star break as they did lose uh, to the Houston Rockets. But uh, kind of the implications of the trade deadline here in Houston would have to be what the Rockets did. And you look, uh, they traded guard Tyler Ennis to the Lakers uh, and KJ McDaniels to the Nets. Uh, Corey Brewer and a first round pick shipped to the Lakers for uh, Lou Williams. 
I think that's an amazing pickup. I mean, it, it, Lou Williams is a guy that came in. Uh, he, he was arguably in contention for sixth man of the year uh, with Eric Gordon. I mean, he's having a career year, uh, you know, 12 NBA seasons. He's averaging about 13 points a game this year. That figures closer to 17. So he was doing well on a bad team. He's a good three point shooter, which plays into what the Rockets want. Yeah, he's something like seven three-pointers in, in one game. Something like, I mean, it's insane. Not only matched his career high, they were the most in NBA history for a player making a debut with a new team. So yeah. um, really incredible. I, you know, I, to be, I, you know, I mean, you know me. I don't follow the Rockets too closely. But it's exciting to see that maybe Clutch City can make a comeback at some point this next season. It's always good when Houston does well on the court. I, 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 love, I love to see the Rockets do well. Astros and, of course, the Texans is another story. Yeah, but, that's just a dumpster yeah. fire right now as long as Brock Osmond. <laughs> Why there's a quarterback, but Lou Williams right now on just two games really quickly for the Rockets. Uh, he's averaging a team high 22 points and 25.5 minutes per game. Uh, and he's had 27 points and 25 minutes of play in his Rockets debut, as you had just mentioned to uh, in New Orleans with a career high, career high tying seven three pointers. Uh, but he's a guy that really helps spread the floor. And of course, the Rockets love to throw the ball up. And uh, I definitely think that now it's safe to say that the Rockets will have the sixth man of the year, whether it's Lou Williams or Eric Gordon. Speaking of basketball, uh, we need to talk about Magic Johnson. And yeah, the Lakers. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's kind of funny. Like I'm looking at the story here and looking at some of his tweets. I mean, somebody must have not checked his Twitter account before putting him in charge. Yeah, uh, it, it's a little, little concerning. What are your thoughts on that? So Magic Johnson, of course, uh, moved to the front office with the Lakers, and uh, he's a very successful businessman. I mean, he's made uh, quite the name for himself since retiring from uh, the Lakers back in the '90s, and of course, he was one of the greatest. You know point guards of all time right i don't think his business acumen is what's in dispute right it's more and, and his that's evaluation where have, that's where i have talent. an issue is when you look at what he's done outside of basketball like his business he's been a success there's no debating that but when you look at what he's done within the arena outside of his playing days he hasn't been successful i mean you look at a stint as a head coach failed look at his multiple stints as uh you know, a, a broadcaster or a voice on, uh, you know, ESPN, he's failed. What was Jeannie Buss thinking, making him the guy in charge for the Lakers? And I, I, I mean, we look at this Lou Williams deal, for example. The Rockets got away with one, shipping off Corey Brewer, who is not a good man off the bench for the Rockets. And they get Lou Williams, who is instantly an impact player. I mean, I, I don't get the move. I, I think part of the Lakers philosophy was if we bring in Magic Johnson to work on our front office, then maybe we can use his clout, his credibility, his Hall of Fame credentials as a way to poach potential free agents. You know, someone like a Kevin Durant who uh, is, is going to be coming up for free agents, somebody, you know, like a LeBron James. I just don't know that that works out in reality. Yeah, and it's it's funny, you know. I look at some of these tweets, and it kind of just reflects the mind of a guy that maybe uh, thinks that he knows what he's doing. I'm not saying I can necessarily do better, but some of them are just sort of funny because they're so like painfully obvious. I mean, like here's here's one: the only way San Antonio or Miami don't win the championship is if neither team makes the finals. Well, uh, that's like a John Madden quote, right? Like, yeah, I, I'm reminded <laughs> of like you know, Brett Favre was a guy who could see a lot better when he has his contacts in. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, if they if they score more points, I think that they, they might eke out the win here. You know, it's like that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, and, and one of the other interesting moves that we haven't discussed yet is uh, Rob Polinka, uh, who is a, I guess, a super agent uh, in, in basketball. He, you know, was a former agent for Kobe Bryant. Uh, he also represents, of local interest, James Harden, formerly represented James Harden, also Eric Gordon. He's a guy that's, you know, was a key bench player back on those Michigan teams, you know, back in the 90s. He's developed himself a nice career as an agent, has made millions of dollars. But how do you go from that to becoming a general manager of an NBA franchise? I mean, is that too big of a leap? Uh, it would seem so, especially with, I think, what is a questionable credibility now on his ability to evaluate talent and really see, uh, kind of see reality as to what's feasible for his team. Um, you know, I, I, I look at somebody who, you know, so a, a lot of, I think, ex-NBA players, and really this happens in a lot of sports, but it's sort of like their career on the court can sort of give them more of a mystique than they deserve right. when it comes to other areas of their life. And so, so who are some guys that you think of that might have been put into position, whether it's in sports or politics, that had that mystique where they've kind of been placed into a role that they might not be qualified for uh, Jesse Ventura, <laughs> governor That's of Minnesota. Fair. That's fair. I mean, you know, we are, we're, we're, we're not we're going to set aside the the wrestling is uh, a sport debate for a moment and just say that that guy is a nutcase should never been in office. But need, needless to say, I can think of some other politicians like that. Yeah, that's well, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, even though Donald he wasn't Trump. a it, well, he was a weightlifter, right? But his his claim to fame was was well, right. He was an actor. But, uh, you know, oh, Schwarzenegger wasn't the worst governor of California. If you're going to look at you know, California's had some has some doozies. But um, yeah, I mean, a, a Donald Trump, if you're if you're so inclined in that direction, um, trying to think of some of the Al Franken in the Senate, of course, another actor turned senator that, you know, questionable results. But there have been a lot. I feel like uh, people sort of get drunk on the star power of somebody because we sort of like to remember so-and-so's best moments from whenever. I mean, let's think about uh, Michael Jordan, right? Right. He basically bluffed his way into the MLB to a minor league baseball. He never made it to the to the show. Let's, sorry, let's sorry, sorry. That. Minor league Birmingham baseball. Parents. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I remember, I remember his trading card has become quite, quite the the item now among collectors. But um, it's it's interesting because he basically bluffed his way into the minor leagues and. Uh, you know, to disastrous results. Of course, his home was always in basketball, always will be in basketball. But um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of lot of guys that I feel like we, you know, you have to remember, I think, if you're ever in like, you know, a management position, like just because this guy was amazing on the court or on the field or wherever, it doesn't mean he's going to be a decent, uh, you know, you know, coach, basically. Yeah. And the, the Michael Jordan thing, there's actually a uh, 30 for 30 documentary called Jordan Rides a Bus. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but you look back at that 1994 season that they are profiling with the Birmingham Barons. Uh, he hit 202 with three home runs, 51 RBIs, 30 stolen bases, 114 strikeouts, which is extremely high, uh, 51 walks and 11 errors. That's not terrible for a guy jumping into double A that hadn't played baseball since high school. I mean, that's true. That, that's, yeah. that's not bad. I mean, we look at other failed experience or experiments like Tim Tebow getting a shot with the Mets organization. I mean, he was much worse than 202, and he wasn't even playing in double A baseball. Why is Tim Tebow still a thing? I, I know it's not just because he goes and speaks he's to He's a charming churches. guy. I know he's a charming guy, but I mean, like, I, I, I feel like his talent, like on the football field, <laughs> baseball field wherever like the guy is just better as sort of a media personality even then some people want him to go away fair point but i think he he definitely is an inspirational speaker oh, he, sure. he yeah. means a lot to the state of florida i think he's a guy that you know we were talking about 
athletes becoming politicians. I think he's a guy that could potentially run for Congress or Senate down the road in Florida and have a lot of support. But I'm going to go with another recent quarterback from the state of Florida who was kind of making headlines this week, and that's Jameis Winston, uh, Tampa Bay Bucks quarterback, a former quarterback for the Florida State uh, Seminoles, won a national championship Heisman Trophy there. When I think of role models, people that I want to go speak at a school to young children, I don't immediately think of Jameis Winston. You know, Tim Tebow, great role model. I would want him to come speak. Jameis Winston, a guy who probably got away with rape at Florida State, had to settle, you know, criminal case. Did you see what happened this past week when he was speaking to, what, third graders? At a Florida school, I did. I did. Uh, you know, it's funny. Old crab legs, as I like, as I <laughs> lovingly like to refer to Jameis Winston. You know, I've never been real impressed with the guy when he's interviewed, and that's not to say anything about his upbringing. He's, he's or like background. A, he's, he's a good old Southern boy. Yeah, he just um, he he speaks to someone who's had a very traditional upbringing, um, and I think that that's reflected in some of these comments that he made. Um, he said Jameis Winston getting crushed for telling little girls that they're supposed to quote unquote uh, be silent and polite and gentle. Uh, during his elementary school speech. And of course, he told boys to be strong and stand up. And yeah. he just, you know, he's kind of re- I mean, he, he's getting slaughtered by people that, in my opinion, really don't. Um, a lot of people, they're professionally offended. They like getting upset about this stuff. It doesn't really mean anything for him. I mean, he's going to issue an apology. And, well, he did. And in six months, no one's going to remember that this happened. Well, that's probably fair. But yeah. I, I think the, the bigger story is why are you even having Jameis Winston come and speak to third through fifth graders at, you know, a school in St. Petersburg, Florida? I, I don't understand why you even bring him into that situation to begin with. I mean, I get that Jameis is probably wanting to get more involved with the community, but I don't know that he should be giving advice like that. And you look at the, you know, you look at his full quote. He says, all my young boys stand up. The ladies sit down, uh, but all my boys stand up. We strong, right? We strong, we strong, we strong, right? All my boys tell me one time I can do anything I put my mind to. Now, a lot of boys aren't supposed to be soft-spoken. You know what I'm saying? One day, y'all are going to have to be have a very deep voice like this, <laughs> and one day you'll have a very, very deep voice. But the ladies, they're supposed to be silent, polite, and gentle. My men, my men are supposed to be strong. I want y'all to tell me what the th- third role of life is. I can do anything I put my mind to. I mean, why, why is he telling boys this? I mean, shouldn't he be telling both, like, boys and girls that they can be yeah, strong? Yeah, I, I think so. But, you know, I, I look at sort of where he comes from and... I, I think that telling men to be strong, I think it, there are some positives I can sort of draw out of that. And I think in his community, I think that he probably has a right mindset. Like we do need to tell men to be strong and to, you know, um, do the right thing, you know? And so I, I think he was probably going for something really positive, but the way the execution up, just failed. Well, if you've, if you've ever seen a James Winston interview, the execution fails. I mean, the guy just, he, he doesn't articulate well. And so, and um, I, I think that's probably a, generous statement yeah yeah i i but i'm i'm gonna say that i think his intent was good just his execution was really bad but you know getting slaughtered by twitter feminists i i don't really i mean I mean, it's not just that i mean it's everybody i mean clay travis who's a guy that uh, you know runs outkick the coverage great blog over on you know it's a fox sports affiliate he provides great insight I, 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 he was critical of Jameis. i mean I, I i don't know i think i think Jameis just needs to focus on football well, I think most NFL players who ended up in, ended up in the news, I mean, need to focus on football. I mean, they're, you know, uh, these days when everything is recorded, everything is reported, you've got to really watch your mouth. I mean, I've, to, to state the obvious, duh. But um, 
if if I know Jameis Winston, this is not the last time he will be in the news for something ridiculous <laughs> that he has it's said. Not necessarily a bold claim, yeah. but uh, kind of shifting back to local sports here. Uh, Major Applewhite, we discussed him several times. He's the new head football coach at the University of Houston. Uh, he agreed to a deal that pays him. You know, it's a five-year deal, $1.5 million per year, and he gets a $100,000 bonus for every Cougars win past nine, which you'll remember that Tillman Fertitta announced that, you know, in order for Applewhite to have success, he's got to win at least nine games a year. So that's putting a high bar on Applewhite, and he gets another 100000 bonus for, you know, winning an AAC championship, uh, 100000 if he gets to a New Year's Six Bowl. But did you see the fine details that if he were to jump ship from U of H and go to another school? Yeah, no, this is definitely the most school-friendly contract I have ever seen. Um, and I think it reflects Houston being really upset that, you know, Tom Herman, even going back to Art Bryles uh, and Kevin Sumlin, have all jumped ship for, you know, arguably better jobs. And uh, this reflects their mentality that it's like, it's going to cost you if you're going to leave the University of Houston because all these guys have used Houston to sort of catapult themselves right. to bigger and better things. And I think that they actually want this to be a destination for somebody, you know, hope to God that it's Applewhite, assuming that he's successful there. Of course, we've mentioned that Applewhite has had a a checkered past, if you will. I mean, his incident at University of Texas. Yeah, uh, that's true. He's kind of lucky to have a head coaching job. Right. Let's see. Applewhite's personal bio spikes 50% if he leaves for another school in Texas. So that seems to be the sore spot, I think, for Houston is they don't, I mean, obviously they don't want him leaving, but they really want to put the pain on if he leaves for another school in Texas. So I, I think it's really interesting. But yeah, you're right. Applewhite sort of is in a place where, um, you know, if you look at other kind of like, gosh, take our brows, for instance, he'll never have a head coaching job again. But uh, you he, know. he shouldn't. I, well, I, he I, shouldn't. I won't be surprised if he gets one, because I think in college football, winning is more important than anything. And uh, whether you agree with that sentiment or not, I think some school is going to want to win big enough. They're going to take a chance on him. I don't think it's going to be a power five school. I was going to say it's going to be like a D three school. I mean, it could be maybe? like a, it could be like an Arkansas or State. I mean, look at look at Bobby Petrino. Look at Bobby Petrino yeah. after he was let go from Arkansas after, I guess, having an affair with one of the what was it a student trainer or something like that, and then getting in a car accident with her or motorcycle accident actually. I mean, he bounced back. I mean, it's it's not going to be a glamorous power five job, but I think that someone like Bryles, whether he deserves it or not, will land at one of those schools. Yeah, yeah. I mean, gosh, you know, you look at other public figures that have bounced back after horrible things. I mean, Ted Kennedy comes to mind. But anyways, um, all to say, who knows what's going to happen. I, I honestly think after those text messages were released, I don't think Art Browse is going to be coaching anywhere big. But how does Ian McCall anything. have a job? Well, no, here, hold, here, okay, well, hold on. To my point, he's not going to be coaching anywhere big. But um, if you're familiar with the history of Baylor scandals, uh, you know that Baylor's head basketball coach from the Patrick Dennehy scandal, Dave Bliss, does have a job. He's coaching what high school, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think it's some like preparatory school. I, I couldn't tell you. I know he's bounced around. I know he also he's has still some, in the sport. He, That's the yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, whether our Browse is coaching Pee Wee football or college ball, I mean, I I think you know I I'm sort of with you. I don't think he should be coaching, and he is old. You know, he's he's getting up there in age. So if he is going to start coaching again, it's got to be soon. But all to say, sorry, go, coming back to Major Applewhite, um, <clears throat> I think Houston's got to um, got to really you know keep their coaches around, and I think this contract is maybe. Uh, sort of a trend um, and schools like Houston that are sort of in what you know, you call a mid-major conference to try to keep their guys around longer than three or four years. 
Yeah, it's, it's definitely tough if you don't have that power five money. But uh, we just kind of touched on Ian McCall and Art Bryles. Did you hear the comments that Kim Mulkey made after Baylor women's basketball won their seventh straight Big 12 championship yesterday? I did. And I was a little, you know, punching people in the face. Yeah, and, let, let me know, go ahead and read, you know, the full quote real quick. She said she was obviously uh, had the microphone after uh, Baylor won their seventh straight Big 12 women's basketball championship. And she was congratulating the seniors. And she was also um, going on a point. She said that if somebody's around you and they ever say, I will never send my daughter to Baylor, you knock them right in the face. Because these kids are on the campus. I work here. My daughter went to school here. And it's the best damn school in America. Which the, Was she a little bit out of line by saying that? I mean, okay. uh, again, uh, it's his word selection failing her. But, um, you know, I, I think the sentiment is nice because it, it is it shows a lot of pride at Baylor. Like, I, you know, and I completely agree with the sentiment. I mean, I do think that a lot of things that uh, have been said about Baylor are unfair, even despite everything that's come out. That being said, t- telling people to punch people in the face because they don't like Baylor or because they don't want to send their daughters there. I think that's over the line. Duh. But, um, I, I like her, I like her spirit and I like, um, you know, the, the fact that she's standing up for Baylor, but Kim Mulkey is a notoriously coarse individual, right? <laughs> she was also a big supporter of Bryles. There were rumors that she was going to walk if he was fired back during the whole scandal. Of course she didn't, but you know, let Kim Mulkey be Kim Mulkey. I, I think she's probably gonna have to apologize for that. But at the same time, like, I don't think she's going to apologize. I yeah, think maybe she's that not. Type of yeah, maybe I, no, no, on second thought, maybe she won't. But I, I think she should. Yeah, she's um, always she's always been kind of brash with the media. Yeah, in, yeah. in the Waco area. But she picked up her 500th win coaching yesterday, which is just a remarkable number. Uh, she was also named a finalist for the Naismith Hall of Fame, uh, basketball Hall of Fame. So she could potentially be inducted this year, which I think is pretty impressive. She's a great coach. I think sometimes her comments come from the heart. I yeah. think they were well intended. I, you know, I, I, I think that she probably could have said it in a better way. Yeah. I, th- I think when she explained it a little bit further in the post game press conference, she was a little more eloquent. Sure. After she probably had time to think and process everything. Um, but uh, let's move on to a different subject real quick. Um, we've spoken about Donald Trump multiple times on this podcast, and uh, most of it probably has not been positive. I mean, I don't know that he's given us a lot of positive things to talk about. But uh, this past week, you know, we're not going to discuss the complications that, uh, you know, Sean Spicer locking certain media outlets out of the uh, the press room. Let's talk. Let's let's bring it to a sports angle. Of course, we know that all presidents like to enjoy golf. You know, we, we remember George W. Bush speaking on terrorism. And then he, he famously said, now watch my drive. And I, I don't think he ever played golf after that. But I think that's one of the most hilarious presidential comments that I've ever seen. Uh, President Barack Obama loved playing golf. Oh, avid. Avid, avid golfer. Golf. Donald Trump <laughs> owns several golf courses. Also a huge golf fan. And this past Sunday when he was at his resort in Mar-a-Lago, he played around a round of golf with Roy McIlroy, one of the best golfers in the world today. And there was some blowback, not on Trump, but on Rory McIlroy. But on Rory, because this is the most radioactive president in history, I think probably next to Barack Obama and George W. Bush, but like by a long shot. And I think it's funny that Rory is having to defend himself from playing golf with the president. Now, I believe that there was a little bit of mishandling about how the White House uh, discussed them playing golf together. But at the same time, it's like, why, why does, you know, it's like uh, the people who had to play for Trump's inauguration, you know, like, I mean, the guy is the president for the next, you know, 
four years, whether you like it or not. I mean, he, and he is the president. Maybe that, four years. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I'm you know, assuming uh, that doesn't prematurely come to an end. But um, no, I mean, the guy's the president. You shouldn't have to explain yourself for playing golf with a president. I mean, the guy, uh, you know, some, some people on some of his opponents act like he's a war criminal. And the guy has barely done anything. I mean, he's just trying to get his cabinet positions filled. And he's already been der- being derided as, you know, uh, something just one hair short of Hitler. So, yeah, I, I, I guess the issue that I have is everyone berating Roy McElroy for playing golf with Donald Trump. I mean, uh, you should not be embarrassed by playing golf with the president of the United States. I don't care whether you like him or not. It's still a great opportunity to even have four hours with arguably one of the most powerful men in the world. I mean, that, that, that's a really cool thing. I mean, if, if any, if, I mean, if, if Barack Obama, Donald Trump, George W. Bush asked me to play a round of golf, which, you know, they never would because I'm terrible at golf, I would be honored. And I think Roy McIlroy, who's, you know, rehabbing right now, was honored to be able to play golf with, you know, the president of the United States. I mean, that, that, that's a cool honor in itself just to even be invited. Well, and I, I think this speaks to um, also one thing that I think people who are deriding Roy McIlroy don't understand is this kind of stuff helps Trump. And it's also going to help Rory. Like people who like Trump, who've never even heard of Roy McIlroy, are all of a sudden going to be fans of his. I mean, just just for the fact that he was bold enough to play with the president. So I, I think a lot of this stuff creates an opposite backlash that you know, kind of almost uh, it, it it washes away whatever was intended originally. So I, I think it's a stupid tactic to go after him for this. Yeah, the, the issue that I have is that Rory actually had to issue a statement. And if you read a statement that he issued on February 24th, he said, last week I was invited to play golf with the president of the United States. Whether you respect the person who holds that position or not, you respect the office that he holds. This wasn't an endorsement nor a political statement of any kind. It was quite simply a round of golf. Golf was our common ground, nothing else. I think that's a fair statement, but you look at the tweets that follow that, just and it's it's all pure these pure cancer, yeah, ripping McElroy, <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I just don't get it. I mean, thank you, Internet. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it it's frustrating to me. So, Roy McElroy, you keep doing you. You keep being one of the best golfers in the world, and I'm gonna invite you to play golf, Roy McElroy. I, I know you probably listen to the podcast. If you want to come play golf anytime, let me know. You probably won't have to issue an apology. Uh, I might have to issue an apology for how terrible I play, Sorry. which is likely. Speaking of apologies, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, you know other famous sports figures right now. And um, I was looking at some of these stories this week. Tom Herman, apparently, um, was fired from Subway. Yeah, I did see that. eating too much pastrami. Like, I did how, see that. How bad is that? Like, how much pastrami do you have to like lift from your like uh, Subway refrigerator to get fired for it? Right? I don't know. I mean, but I, I, I actually, uh, it's it, it's funny because like I'm I'm thinking like I hope he doesn't leave Texas under similarly embar- you know, <laughs> similarly embarrassing circumstances. Yeah, I I don't know. I think I I, I heard the story about Herman. And I laughed. I, th- I thought it was comical. I-, I guess this happened when he was obviously much younger before he had gotten to coaching and, uh, you know, became Tom Herman that we know today. But it kind of makes you think. And, th- and the reason why I say this, he was not truthful to the student athletes at the University of Houston about this whole coaching process. And I think we saw that translate on the field a few times. I, I think that there was a lot of uncertainty around him, whether or not he would leave for Texas or LSU. I think that's shown in the way that U of H played at some points this year. But he always denied it, denied it, essentially called the media liars for saying that he was interested in another job, that he he's very similar to Donald Trump and, and I think his disrespect for the media and 
the way he's treated some media outlets, especially at UT, uh, telling parents that they can't talk to the press. I mean, just he's trying to control and micromanage entirely too much. But he has a history of doing this, obviously. I mean, bending the rules. I mean, something as simple as Subway, stealing pastrami. I like. I don't her, know. I like how we're, we're. I mean, our, arguably, this is what a job he probably had when he was in college or a teenager. We're equating right. that with his coaching style. No, I, I think it's funny because I, w- I was talking to some UT alums uh, this past week at this wedding, and uh, these guys that seemed like they were fairly involved UT fans. I don't know if they had any standing, but um, <clears throat> they were a little unimpressed with T- Herman's performance so far. There have been a couple of metrics that showed uh, that Texas's recu- recruiting class was actually under Baylor. Um, in terms of uh, this last recruiting class. And so, you know, of course, I, I think if you're going to look at the recruiting classes objectively, Texas definitely did better than Baylor. But just the fact that Baylor, like, you know, having all the scandal right behind us and everything um, is even in the running with Texas for a recruiting class, um, I think that that's disturbing to them. And so a lot of people, a lot of Texas alums that I've talked to are just sort of like, they're, yeah, they're like, they're happy that Tom Herman is the coach, but they're, but they're not exactly impressed so far with what he's done. Which, you know, if you're going to go back, and look at Texas coaching history, it's per, pretty par for the course at this point. Yeah, I think the frustrating thing for me with Tom Herman is he had the lowest rated recruiting class in Texas football history this century. I mean, we're talking about down years with Mac Brown, down years with Charlie Strong, and they were still able to put up good recruiting classes. Tom Herman was able to put up solid recruiting numbers at U of H, obviously, uh, you know, a school that doesn't have as many resources as the University of Texas. And some of the comments that Herman made kind of bothered me, calling it a transitional recruiting class, you know, saying that we didn't have enough time. Well, you did. I mean, you just missed on some of the big players. And I think part of the problem is the what Texas has done the last five, six, seven years, starting with the end of Mac Brown's tenure they just almost fell off a cliff after losing that national championship game to Alabama when, uh, you know, Colt McCoy goes out with the injury. They haven't been the same since. And so a lot of high school athletes, the last time Texas was good and actually competing for national championships, they were in the third, fourth, and fifth grade. They don't remember Texas being a powerhouse. So I think that's a disadvantage for them. But I will say, Texas... There was an article probably about a week or two ago discussing how poorly the facilities at Texas had aged. I mean, you look at Texas A&M, you look at Oklahoma, uh, you look at what Alabama's doing. They are upgrading those facilities constantly. Baylor, a school that we both went to, they are upgrading their facilities. They built a nutritional center this past year. Right, and all all their stuff is basically brand new since the stadium was built. The way that I heard it described is Texas was like a country club that you could see that you could see was aging. And they, they put a lot of stock into, well, we're Texas. It doesn't matter. Right. And Herman realized that changes need to happen. He actually hired three people, spent $200,000 on a graphic designer, a video guy, and a social media guy. That's a lot of money to spend for three jobs. So I I think he understands that changes do need to be made. I'm just not sure that he is the right guy for that job, especially when the media scrutiny comes in on him. Because you'll remember, he blew up the media here in Houston for suggesting that Kyle Allen was going to transfer from Texas A&M to U of H blew up on the media restricted access that's not going to fly in austin right of course um don't let any of this discussion distract you from the fact that texas lost to kansas this past year in football that do not let that do not do not that that if if there is one thing two things that you take away from this podcast it's one let us know where kevin cook is because we have no idea where he is and two 
Don't forget that Texas forget lost to Kansas. Texas football. lost to Kansas. Please, <laughs> but here, here's crazy. I, you know, we're talking about recruiting. Uh, Kansas, they've got their 2018 class together. They've got like a few five star recruits. Like, how does that happen? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm I don't having, know that they're going to stick. But the, I, that, I, that to me is mind blowing. No, no, no. But, but here's the thing. I mean, K, this is Kansas, right? This is it's the a University school. of right. Is a basketball school. And the last time they were good, though, not too long ago. Remember, we were still in college when Kansas was good. In 2007, they almost went to the BCS. No, they did. Oh, not the BCS, but they went to. They almost. They went to the the Orange Bowl. They were they close. They were close. They were good. And I remember when beating Kansas was a big deal like i remember when beating kansas man you're beating one of the tops in the big 12 of course those days are long behind them they're not even riding the coattails of their former glory right now so yeah but we talk about their basketball program just won their 13th big 12 championship right. bill self amazing coach but there's a lot of issues going on right now with kansas basketball you've got players you know getting misdemeanor charges Speaking of like misdemeanor charges, you saw what happened at Baker Mayfield, right? This past weekend, I I heard public about intoxication, it. resisting yeah. arrest. Yes, I was a little. Um, I wasn't happy about it because you never like want to be happy when you see someone go through something like that. But I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that we discussed a few weeks ago was Tom Brady's jersey being sold, and I think that's a natural segue from you know crime and sports to what's happening here in Houston. Tom Brady's football jersey, game-worn football jersey after the Super Bowl, was misplaced or stolen. And Texas police have valued, Houston police have actually valued that as at $500,000 and actually listed that as a first-degree felony. If you have that jersey, maybe Kevin has a jersey. Maybe that's why he's vanished. Maybe, but... What do you uh, do with it? Awesome. What is the deal with this grass-stained Brady jersey you've got on your wall? It's erroneous. Oh, oh, oh it's, it's a reproduction, it's, yeah, right? It's, it's oh. not the same. Oh, it's not the same. Okay, no, okay, no. cool, cool. Well, um, you know, in case you're in case you're wondering where Austin lives, you can you can find out. <laughs> um, no, uh, you know, it, it's it's funny because th- this thing has not surfaced yet, and I, I think it's it's interesting because usually stuff like this, you know, the culprit. I, I imagine it's just some guy that was in there. Like, do you think it was planned, or do you think it was an impulsive, you know, an act of impulsivity? I mean, who knows? But I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of surprised this thing hasn't like popped up yet. Yeah, I mean, if you have a jersey, what do you do with it? Right? Do you I sell mean, it on the black market? Right. Well, I, obviously, you're that's your only, but and you can't really sell it for five hundred thousand dollars because it's stolen, right? I mean, you can't. I mean, we see we see stolen art being sold for millions of dollars. Is there some collectible or some fan out there with like a, you know, a a massive disposable income? Is he going to cough up 500K? Well, that's that's the thing though, is even if you have it, right? So so let's say you buy it from the guy who stole it or you buy it from a dealer who the guy who stole it sold it to. You can't display it because it's stolen, right? So why would you pay a lot of money for that if you can't display it? I mean, what is it going to sit in your drawer forever while you like lovingly look at it at night? I mean, like that's weird. I just don't know. So what's what's probably going to happen is this thing's going to pop up and adding to the lore of this item, it will probably go to auction and go for more than it should go for because of the fact that it was stolen and then found again. I don't know. It's just my idea. I don't know anything about uh, memorabilia or auctioning or how any of that works. (laughs) Well, if if you know where Tom Brady's jersey is, let houston police know the texas rangers know i think that's a i don't know it's, it's one of the storylines outside of tony romo that's been driving sports talk here in the last few weeks but uh, baseball season is approaching and of course we, men- we mentioned that hunter atkins is going to be at spring training uh, coming up here in a few days but there was a rule that was passed this week uh the mlb players union actually agreed to pitchless intentional walks so instead of having to like you know the catcher when, uh, you know, Carlos Correa is up to bat, standing up and holding out his right arm and throwing four pitches, now all you have to do is just indicate that you want to walk the person, that person goes. And a part of the spirit of this was to speed up the game of baseball. 
Which, if you've seen me at baseball games, I, I'm, I can I pay attention for all of 15 minutes, and then I'm either passed out or getting another beer. Yes, exactly. So, right. um, I actually am okay with this. I I understand that like a lot of baseball fans, if you're a purist, you're pr- pretty upset about this, but. I actually don't mind. Uh, speeding up the game, I think, is probably key to its future and its success. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of those Red Sox-Yankee games, they go for four and a half hours. That's just entirely too long. I think there are other ways to speed up the game. I think some of the uh, other proposed rule changes would be a pitcher's clock, essentially like a shot clock that you see in basketball, saying that once the pitcher gets the ball, they have like 20 or 30 seconds to actually deliver the pitch. Because you see some guys who work entirely too slow. I mean, they drag on, drag on, drag on, you know, get set, step off the mound. I mean, that's what adds to the lengthiness of baseball games. And I, I, I like what Manfred is doing, the, the commissioner of baseball trying to speed up the game. I think there are other ways to do it. One of the other rule changes was actually limiting umpire reviews to just two minutes, which I think is good because, you know, we see that issue in football as well. Sometimes the booth reviews can take five, six, seven minutes, just kills the pace of the game, takes the crowd out of the game. Right. And the momentum, if there was any, you know, it's not, you know, it makes it harder when you have those big gaps to sustain any momentum in your play. Of course, that's more in football, you know, baseball, I, I guess momentum is a little different. But um, yeah, I, I I would say baseball, par- part of the problem, in, I, I think, in American sports with baseball is that the wider audience, we're, we're sort of, we kind of have this like collective ADD. It, it's hard for us to pay attention to games that are at a, at a slower pace. And so if you look at baseball, or sorry, football or basketball, right? I mean, there's a lot of action. It happens very quickly. There's a lot of scoring. And it's just easier to pay attention to. Baseball is much more. It's required. a leisure sport. It is. It, it is a leisure sport. You know, I would put baseball on like the same plane as like golf in a lot of ways. And I love both. You, right. you, you're, you know, I, I know people can't see inside the studios right now, but we actually have golf, the Honda Classic, going on in the background. So yeah, I, I do love me some golf. Yeah, it's putting me asleep right now just looking at it. Just don't look at the screen. All right, <laughs> but I'm kind of curious if there were. You're not a huge baseball fan. You you do enjoy going to games. Sure. Just, just sure. the atmosphere. The social I, aspect, yeah. I think the, the social aspect of baseball is what makes the sport great. But if you were to change some rules in baseball, is there anything that you would do to make the game more interesting or something that would help reach a larger audience? Yeah, I, I'd shrink the field size so that you'd see like 10 home runs each game. That would be fun, right? I mean, I'm just thinking like off the top of my head, like let's let's shrink the field size. I mean, obviously it cuts both ways, right? So the Astros be, you know, hitting 10 home runs and, you know, potentially like the... See, you're putting a real value on pitching. Right, yeah. All basically. right. So, Interesting. Yeah, but uh, you, you shrink the field size, you have more home runs, it's more exciting. Although then again, the home run becomes more mundane, right? Even though in some games there are a lot of them. Yeah, especially at with. parks like Minute Maid Park where you see the short porch out in left and right field. And I think the Astros are going to benefit from that this year. I mean, they've, they've got an offense that is absolutely loaded, uh, has a lot of power potential. So I think we're going to see a lot of home runs this year at the juice box. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I trust Manfred in some of the decisions that he's making with these rule changes. There's one rule that I don't like, and that's one of the proposed rules that they are looking at, evaluating for future years that they're actually going to put in place, and I believe the rookie leagues this year, and that's extra inning rules putting a runner on second to start off the inning. I don't like that. Well, I, I don't think it's fair. I mean, I think that's sort of I mean, silly. Why change the rules of baseball to take away from the spirit of the game? Right, yeah. And just to speed it up an extra 20 minutes. Right, I, I think that's silly. I think there's a lot of other things you could do to speed it up, and that's just not one of them. So I think any runs, any runners on any basis need to be earned. And 
just putting a runner on second is silly. But that's just my opinion. Again, and this is coming from a total pleb, non-expert on, in the sport of baseball. Yeah, and, and Jeremy, uh, I, I'm definitely looking forward to baseball season. It starts in just over a month. But here in Texas, we like a lot of things. We like football. We like barbecue. We love high school sports. We love politics. Sometimes all together. Yeah. <laughs> but if you look at Texas Monthly's new editor-in-chief, Tim Talifero, I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, did, did you see a statement that he made this week uh, telling uh, fans of Texas Monthly that Texans don't care about politics? And yeah, I, I, it's, it's really funny because uh, this guy is uh, left-leaning, I'm guessing. I mean, I don't, I don't know. The, I don't know that that has anything to do with no, it. No, 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 no. Okay, so let me back up here for a second. Texas Monthly is planning to pull back on its like long-form political coverage that they've been known for. They've gotten so many different awards, accolades, you know, for so many years. I mean, this is a publication that has great photography, great interviews, great stories, great reporting. And now they're changing it because a 33, 34 year old millennial says that Texans don't care about politics? No. Uh, okay. So if you're um, a Republican in Texas, if you're a conservative in Texas, you know that Texas Monthly is left leaning. I mean, you, you already know what they're going to say. There's nothing. Um, there's nothing fun and there's nothing interesting about what they have to say. They don't ever, you know, in my opinion, offer alternative viewpoints, at least on a consistent basis that makes their publication worth picking up. I mean, occasionally I'll pick one up because they have a story about sports or they're going to like rag on Baylor for something. But, um, you know, they're, they're really just a very predictable publication. So I think his comment comes from his cynicism about the fact that Texas is a very red state. In fact, it's a very deep red state at the moment. And, you know, when you look at across the state, uh, in terms of politics, it's just not looking up for guys who write for Texas Monthly. So I'm sorry, buddy. It's like because it's sort of like a sore loser comment. Texans don't care about politics. I don't know. Texans just don't care about his politics. And I think that that's probably the take home from that guy. So they're definitely going to make the, the move to more of a lifestyle branded magazine. So this is going to include travel highlights, food reviews and things like that. Would, would you still pick up a copy of Texas Monthly or would you just not consider it now? I mean, I've never considered it before. I definitely will not now. Um, there, but you know, again, if you're uh, if you're into politics in Texas, you've always got Texas Tribune and some of which these is other, a great publication. You know, I, I recommend people you know go check it out, donate to help the trip that yeah. website. Yeah. Well, anyways, but uh, yeah, Texas Monthly they have they they have their place. It's I, I think I'd like to see them maybe keep writing about politics, but maybe offer more balanced perspective, perhaps. That's also a fair point. Yeah. But, you know, only time will tell. But, uh, Jeremy, it's been a lot of fun going back and forth uh, with you this week. Uh, I, I'm still wondering where Kevin is. Nobody is. Kevin is with Tom Brady's jersey at the moment. You know, if we find them together, wouldn't that be an amazing thing for the show? He could retire. I, he, well, he, we could all retire, perhaps. Maybe. I don't know. 500K split up three ways. I, I'm thinking it's going to be worth much more than that. And, you know, which, uh, you know, let, let, let's, let's think about. The, All right. Let, so if you know, yeah, where, let's talk about you, this if, off air. Yeah. If you know where Kevin Cook is, or if you know where Tom Brady's jersey is, let us know. Let us know, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But also, uh, if you want to find out, you know, more about our work, uh, you can also check out uh, Weekly Brewcast. Just search that on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also subscribe to our website that that's weeklybrewcast.com. We post new content there each week and uh, post each episode there every Monday morning. So we hope that you uh, like the work that we've put together this week. Uh, hope, hopefully you enjoy the topics uh, that we've covered this week. And again, if you've seen Kevin Cook, let us know where he is. We just have no clue 
where he is right now. I, I don't know. It, it's kind of baffling to me. But, Jeremy, it's, it's been great going back and forth this week. On behalf of Jeremy Paxton, my name is Austin Statton, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 